Good evening, and may the Lord bless you. Has the Lord been blessing you? Has the Lord been saying, we've had two nights of looking at God, and I find that looking at God without necessarily getting into specifics, uh, sometimes we should, God speaks to us. I'll just say this, you know what, last night the Lord was speaking to me. Um, seeking God's face and looking at God and praying. I don't know, it was related to Brother Sam's devotional last night. It was during his devotional I thought about it. There's a certain brother that I have a little strained relationship with. You know, things don't really flow as easy as they should. And I felt God telling me last night to go home and try to work on that, build some bridges. I have asked him if I've hurt him, if there's anything I need to apologize. He says, no, no, that's all right. no, nothing you've done. I just don't agree with you. Uh, you know, some of you know what that's like. But what I'm simply saying is last night the Lord was, I would have sort of thought, well, I've done what I, you know, what I can do. But last night I felt the Lord was telling me that, I'm not sure exactly how yet. I'll keep praying about that the rest of the week. But I felt the Lord was telling me to go home and build some bridges. So if you think about it, you can pray for me about that. That's the type of thing among the brethren. Or, but I, I think it's good when the Lord speaks to us. And what has the Lord been telling you? Uh, I haven't even told my wife that. I like to sit down with her and run this by her, and maybe she'd have some suggestions how I can build bridges with this, this one person. So I'd like to encourage us to do that, to open our lives, let the Holy Spirit speak to us in areas that we need to, um, we all need to improve. You know? Sometimes we feel, well, the Lord speaks to certain people. But if we look at the Word of God and we look at the character of God, and God does not speak to you at all this week, uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to think about that. Because uh, most of us, all of us, if we look at God, we open our lives to God. There's areas we need to grow in, and God will speak to us. God will speak to us. Let's read our text again, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. <clears throat> this passage has um, a commandment in it, as we have looked at before. I give thee charge that thou keep this commandment. The latter part of the week, I'd like to look at that part of it and what the commandment is. But so far, what we're looking at the first part of the week is we're looking at who God is because he says, I give thee charge in the, in, in the sight of God and before Christ. Then in the latter part, he says that in the end of the world, in his coming, the Lord Jesus is going to show, to reveal who God is. Today, sometimes it looks like things are going backwards. It looks like the darkness is growing and Sometimes it looks like the church is losing out, and sometimes it's all in our own, the way we're thinking. But um, it tells us here that in the last times when Jesus comes, he is going to show who God really is. He's going to show how things are, how things really are, because things are not the way they look. Satan is not winning the battle, not the final battle. Satan is, and watch that in our own lives, Satan is gaining and working. But God is victorious, and God will be victorious. God's people will overcome. That's the truth. Satan is defeated already. The kingdom of Satan is, is defeated, and Satan knows it. That's why he's working so desperately, because he, doesn't, he knows he doesn't have much time. So we need to remember that. We, need, we are believers. And that doesn't simply mean just, what do you believe? Fords are better than Chevrolets? What do you believe? No. We believe in, eternal, in the truths of the Word of God. We believe in God. We believe in spiritual truths. We listen to something that most people don't hear. We believe it. We live by it. And one of the basic things is, God exists and who He is. He is our creator. He is God, eternal God. This wise God, the first night we looked at, he is, 
He quickeneth all. He gives life. He is life itself. He is a source of life. And he gives life and he created everything and he planned everything with a purpose and a great big mind that we can't understand. You know, the galaxies, the complexness of the cell, all the wisdom. You know, who could think of, you ever study the cells? You boys did in school, don't you? Uh, you have the advantage of with these new books, you, you learn about cells that back when your dad were in school, they didn't know that much. You know that? You could study things that your grandfather didn't even know and the scientists didn't know then. And the more they study, the more complex it is. Who created the life and cells and the way they function? Who created fire? Who created uh, water, the water cycle? And you can go on and on and on. The mineral world, the animals, the flowers, and so many things. Who had this big mind that could think up all these things? And if we remember who that, about who God is, that helps us understand who we are, uh, who we are and how small we are in comparison to him, and yet this great big God loves us, loves us. So we're looking at God first, and that really clarifies a lot. Just a study of God brings a lot of things back in perspective, back in the way they should be. Last night we looked at he's the blessed one. And I'm not going to say it's the most powerful message of the week, but studying that blessed me so much to see that God is good. He's the source of everything good. He's blessing. God is good. And it's foolishness to turn away from God. And now tonight we'd look at, like to look at the word only potentate. But let's read the passage. Verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Tonight we'd like to look at this word here, or the two words, only potentate. That's sort of a, I got a little time getting that off of my tongue. The Spanish says, the only sovereign. Which means the same thing, I think. The word potentate means a ruler. He's the only ruler. He's alone. You know, if you have, um, <laughs> have a group of boys and and one of you is far excels all the rest in what? Throwing baskets or what do you like to do? Running a race. Some of them are way beyond. You're the only one. I mean, he's the only one. No one can even get close to him. Well, God, it's much more than that. He is the only sovereign. He's the only potentate. He's the only ruler. He is king of kings and lord of lords. I think that is an explanation of this word here. It's like amplifying it. He is the only potentate. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And the last part it says, to whom be honor and power everlasting. I'd like to look at some of that again tonight. Who God is, and this again puts us in our place and helps us understand last night we talked about why we're here. The purpose according to creation in Genesis 1, as he made us to be in his image, to show his likeness, to show Jesus in our lives. But we need to remember who he is. And again, I'm going to read some verses here. Um, I don't expect you to look them all up. If you want to, if you're fast enough, that's okay. But I'd like to just encourage us to listen and think about what the Bible says about God and about this part of God, that he is the only sovereign. He is the ruler of all rulers. And that's so obvious. I mean, anyone that could do, create fire, galaxies, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, and, and the bacteria, and the microscopic beings, and the minerals, and the fire, and so many things. No one get close. Satan was so wrong. He was, pride is always a deception. Pride is always a lie. Satan was believing something so foolish that he could 
come go up and put up his throne and be like God. You know that passage that says that he wanted to raise up and sit in his throne. He wanted to be like God. And Eve got, they deceived us and he was going to be, run his own life. Absolute foolishness. Because the characteristics of Satan never, as a created being, never get close to who God is. He is the only ruler, not because of what he has accomplished, but of who he is. Just simply who he is. Make him ruler of rulers. No one gets close to who he is. I'd like to read some passages, some verses here that I picked out, and there's many more. I've got quite a few. Exodus 15, verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Deuteronomy 4, 39, 40. Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. We have a blessing forever if we have a good relationship and the blessing of the Eternal One. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. God doesn't take rewards. That means you can't pay God to make him change his mind. He is so wise, he's right, he's so wise, he rules, and no one can tell him he's doing it wrong. Deuteronomy 32, 39, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. 2 Kings 19.15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Thou alone art king of kings. 1 Chronicles 29.11 and 12, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Head above all, reignest over all. Again, that is not because he has fought a battle and knocked the enemy's other enemies out. He is there because of who he is. Beyond that, there's a lot I can't explain. There's so much we can't understand about God, but he is there because of who he is. No one can compete with who he is. Satan is not really... As far as who he is and the power, his power, Satan can't even start. What Satan can do is work havoc among us, but he can't hurt God. Psalms 10, verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. King forever and ever. Psalms 47, 7 and 8, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. I like this. I think there's another verse here that says that, and there's many more. God is king of all the earth. Sing praises. Think about our God yesterday, the good God, the blessed God. Can you imagine if the God that would reign would be an angry God, a cruel God, a God that changes his mind, Changes his deals with us and is, and is unfair. But we should rejoice and sing. 
Because God is king. He is a good God. Psalm 66, 7. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Psalms 93, 1 and 2. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. 97.1. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Like we talked last night, the most foolish things we can do is not love God. That's a good God. And the fact that He reigns, that He is King, that's why we can trust. That's why we can believe. We can trust Him. We can wait on Him. Because He reigns. He is King of kings. And if we trust Him and follow Him, we're in good hands. So we should rejoice and sing because the Lord reigns. Psalms 99, 1 and 4. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Psalms 115.3 says, But our God is in the heavens. And he hath done whatever he hath pleased. We could say, that sounds a little selfish. He's just do what he pleases. But since he is so wise, remember he's the man, he's not the man, he's the God, the person who created and had this big mind. And it works. The, um, our galaxy and uh, the sun, the moon and the stars and the movement, you know, they all, they all move. Well, most of them go this way. I think there's one of them that goes around the other way. And, and there's, uh, everything's working just right. You know what time the sun's going to come up tomorrow, right? It works. The water cycle works. So many things. His wisdom. Of course, he does what pleases him. Because he knows what's right. He is truth. He is right. And how can we argue with him? Psalms 135, 5 and 6. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. 145, 11 and 13. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. An eternal kingdom. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He was so foolish. He believed a lie. He was deceived. He thought he was big. He was a great big king. He thought he was Nebuchadnezzar. Pride is always a lie. Pride always deceives us. And makes us act very foolishly. And you know the result? It's like in his story for us. He became like an animal eating grass and fingernails like an eagle. And he was out there like he was just like an animal because pride does that to us. I think that's an example for us. Till, he was like that till. At the end of the days, he himself says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes. When he lifted his eyes up and saw God, he became wise, and his reason came back. So I lifted mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? When he understood that, he became wise. <laughs> Revelations 11, verse 17, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, thou art and wast and art to come. 
because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. We should rejoice that he reigns. Revelations 19.6 And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying. So remember that. God is not losing. There's going to be a crowd of millions of people thundering and saying. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he will reign forever and ever. That's our God. Now what about us? What does that... You think about the greatness of God in creation and his plan and his wisdom and now his power that he reigns. His will will be done. He lets... I don't understand all of this, but he lets the powers of darkness, he lets evil run loose a while. But we know, we should know, it's only temporary. Satan knows. Revelations 12 tells us Satan knows his time is short. Seems like we forget. But power, the powers of darkness are running wild and the latter times it's getting worse. But we know the truth. God reigns. God reigns. That's why we don't give up. We don't get discouraged. And turn and run. We can stand up and they, cut off, they can, could cut off our heads if they want. We know we're still, we're going to reign with him through all eternity. God reigns. How does that put us and allows our relationship to, to him and to us? It was interesting. I was praying about what to have for children's class. I've used this Casey story different times. I really, I think the Lord helped me get Casey because he taught me some more lessons. <laughs> but you know, in light of such a God, what should be our response to him? And we should do it with joy, knowing who he is. Total obedience, total commitment, total surrender. Just give everything for him. How can we turn around and disobey God and walk away from God and do things that don't please him? How can we? If we think about who God is, what else do we want to do? Yeah. That's the only logical thing to do is to love him and serve him. You know, the Holy Acts 5.39 says he gives the Holy Spirit to who? To them that obey him. To them that obey him. You imagine Casey? You know, <laughs> it was such a lesson to me. He, I shouldn't have got upset, I know. I, uh, but, you know, he was so frustrating to me. I saw that he had the ability, and I wish, I wish I would have had the time or the knowledge to train him into a good dog. I think he could be a wonderful dog. He had the potential. He was all there. And yet, because he would not listen, he frustrated me to no end. He would not help me, and he became a hindrance to me. Casey taught me something that I hadn't really understood totally. You know, if I'm God's servant, especially if I'm a preacher, supposed to be servant of the Lord. And if I don't listen to God, I frustrate him. If God can't move me, if God can't tell me, okay, now go, Mark, and now stop, now wait. And if I'm out there just bumming around and bouncing around and doing things and he can't control me, is he going to give me more of his Holy Spirit? Especially if I'm out there operating in pride. Is he going to give his Holy Spirit to a man like that? He gives his Holy Spirit to them that he can move, he can use, and those he can be his Holy Spirit with. This thing of obedience is not very popular today. I don't know about up here, but at home it's not. Everyone's saved by faith and don't need to worry about obedience. I have a friend that tells me, oh, yes, I'm a son of God. I'm one of the most disobedient sons God has, but I'm his son. One day he had an accident. A friend of mine had an accident on a motorcycle, came around a curve, and I thought he might be dying. He was laying there all bloodied up, and he had a woman on the back of the motorcycle, the woman he was living with, and wasn't his wife, not married. They were both laying there in a ditch groaning and all bloody, and I got down there beside him, and I was going to make sure and uh, get his heart ready to die before he dies. He didn't die then. And I started with, and I said, I said, Hemelo. That was his nickname. Hemelo. I said, Hemelo, can you hear me? 
I said, hey, Melo, think about God. How's your soul with God? What, you know what he told me? He says, yeah, Mark, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, Don Marcos. I know what you're saying. But years ago, years ago, I gave my life to God. Years ago, I believed in God, and I'm a believer in God. Yeah, he lived with this woman who wasn't his wife. Well, but I'm saved by faith, according to him. That's sort of the popular thing. But this thing of obedience, you know, can we be saved and not obey? You know what? With the understanding the character of God helps us understand salvation. Salvation is much more than just for forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is an important part of salvation. You know, if we're not forgiven our sins, we can't be saved either. That is an important part. But salvation is much more than just being forgiven. Salvation is bringing us back to God and to function with God and to be God's son and God can work and God can use me and God can show his character. He can use me like we talked last night. And, but for that, I need total surrender, total submission to him. Just die to myself and just merge with him and let him move me and use me. Can you be saved without obedience? The Bible says no. The Bible says that he will punish the disobedient. Now, I understand, and God, I can't draw those lines here. I'm not going to, and I'm not going to draw them. God didn't tell me to. He didn't give me the ability to, and so I'm glad I don't have to. Because we all struggle, and we sometimes fail, and sometimes we disobey. And the Lord is patient, and he works with us. I, I want you to know that. But can I deliberately say no to God, but I'm still saved by faith? Now, let's go back and look at God. Who is God? This God we've been looking at. How can I say I love him and rebel against him and disobey him? Hebrews 5 says he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. First Peter says, seeing ye have been purified, ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And then Jesus said, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my, command, my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Think of Casey. Think of this great big God and me as a small human being created to show his image and his likeness. The only way of loving him is to totally submit and allow him to be what he, he needs to be in my life. You know, this thing of being in the image of God it might go against our carnal nature, but I wasn't created to do my own thing. I wasn't created to show you who Mark Yoder is. I'm original. I, uh, this is me. Uh, I'm Mark Yoder, whatever. I'm a big farmer, I'm a whatever. You know, that pride is really turns us into foolishness. Because we were created not to have our own identity, but to look like someone else. Young boys and young ladies, if we can understand that, it might change the rest of your life. You were created not to be original, do your own thing. You were created to be led by someone else, to show someone else's glory, to be like someone else. It's not about me lifting me up. It's about him, me becoming small, and him shining through me. And that is, as we said, with the toucan or whatever, that's our freedom. Total joy. Hey, young people, look around. Notice the people. Look. I, I say again, a lot of people don't look and don't think. They just follow the crowd. Look and watch the people that are free. I mean really free. You can see it on their face. You can see their, the joy. I'll use a little example here. Have you noticed the ladies... I'm not, no, no reflection on the ones that aren't, but I, have you noticed the ladies that are totally free and just bloom as a wife? They accept their position. They're a mother, their motherhood, and as a wife, they accept their position where God put them and they just bloom. We husbands like that, don't we? Wives like that. But the same thing is true of us. The people who are totally free are the people that are totally surrendered and committed to God, where God can take us and move us. And we're not that way by nature. For the boys, have you ever... Now, who was the one that had little puppies? 
Uh, let me see. Who had the dog with the puppies? Back there you are. Have you ever tried putting a little string on a puppy and pulled it? Does the puppy follow you? You put a rope on a puppy or a collar on a puppy and you try pulling. Will he follow you the first time you do it? Never. Every time you put a string on a dog or a cat or a horse or a, or a goat or whatever you want, the first time you put it on and they show our human nature and you pull on them, they'll always pull back. Pigs are worse. If you want a pig to go somewhere, pull him in the direction, the opposite direction you want him to go. And he'll go where you, you know. And that's the same way children are. You try to tell a child what to, as small, that's why training's all about. They'll, they will not, they throw themselves on the floor, they kick and they yell because they don't like to obey. I like horses. I like horses. I don't have one. Got rid of one years ago, but uh, I love horses. I like to, to take horses and train horses. I'm not a good trainer. I'm not trying to brag to them. But I do like to teach a horse how to, how to lead. And if you have boys have horses, maybe you have horses. They're sort of expensive to keep, so probably dad says, you know, if you can't afford them, I don't know. But anyway, if you take a horse, and I have this nice horse, and I have a young colt, and I remember especially one filly, or you want to put a rope on it, you want to teach her lead, she will not lead. There's no horse that ever leads in the beginning. The first time you put the rope on and you pull on her, And you cannot pull a horse forward because he's got four legs braced against you. But if you want to teach a young colt, especially a young one, go on the side. Go beside her and pull her sideways. Sideways, you can make her at least move her feet at least two inches. You do that on the side and you pull her and she moves her feet two inches or one inch, sometimes half an inch, and you say, good girl, good girl, good girl. And every time then you pull her again, and every time she gives in, that's the thing, every time she gives in a little bit, you praise her. You do that on one side, you go to the side, and you pull on her, and you pull her a little bit, and every time she gives in, you praise her, and she discovers that giving in gets good results. And you keep working at him, and I've had the joy. I don't even need a rope. I had a mare I used to have. This is silly. When I got rid of my last horse, I had tears in my eyes. I'm sorry. I'm a preacher, and I'm an old man, but I love horses. The last time, but anyway... If you can get a horse, and you can get a horse so trained so well that you can lay back and just walk up to her and reach up and grab her by the chin here, just come like this and just juggle a little bit, and she'd follow me. She'd follow me. Because she learned that by giving in, there's better results than resisting. Any of you, any of you men ever train a horse? I'm not good. This I'm not as good at. You get on a horse and you try to pull them around. They're always stiff. Every time you get on the horse the first time, you're disappointed. I'm looking forward so much to riding him. But then when I pull him, he's a stiff. And you pull on him here, and he'll pull the other way. You pull him this way. Then you pull it. And they pull away from you. And you have to work him and work him. But you know when you, I know I do it, I learned the Spanish way, the Latin American way, the Spanish way. But if you want to check a horse that's trained well, you, just, you don't need to do a lot. You just sit up and walk up and stand beside him, and you pick up his reins. You know, you don't use the reins like this. You use reins with your fingers if the horse is trained. You pick his reins up and just tuck him a little. You pull him a little bit. And they call this tucking. You pull him up a little bit. And if he does, and a lot of horses will, if they're not trained, they'll go like this. You pull a little bit on the reins, and you'll feel them stiffen right here. Go. They resist the pull. But you pull the reins up, just touch him a little bit that, and they tuck. Someone's worked him right. Someone's worked him right. He has learned to give in. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about horses, but I'm really talking about me and about you. <laughs> but a horse, if a horse has learned to tuck, and I'm, I'm not this good at that, but a horse should be with his head about straight up and down where he tucks and you can move him with your legs. A horse in that position has got all his faculties in the best place. The horse has his face up, his legs are spread out. But if he stands with his head just about right and you tuck him and you have, he's in all his faculties ready to go. And if he works with you, uh, I did not see this, but there was a man in Coaster, a good horse trainer. He could, he could manage his horse with sewing thread. Get on him with sewing thread. Throw him around. They can pick those horses up. The guys do it the Spanish way. It's related to the Lipizzanos, too, years ago in Spain. But they can pick those horses. They pick the front feet up and flip them all the way around and take off. They can stop them, flip them back this way. They'll flip around, just move them as they want. I can never train a horse like that. Is. But those horses totally, but they tuck. If a horse resists and stiffens his neck, 
You can never do that with him. Most horses do that the other way. Not many horses are trained that well. But now, I'm talking about people. If God picks up my reins and just nudges me, do I tuck or do I... The little thing with that verse we've heard so often about children, obey your parents, honor your parents, that it may go well with thee. The horse that tucks, and a man, that, a man doesn't know how to run the horse, it won't do much good, but if a, if a horse that tucks, and a man that can manage him, the full capacity of getting out what a horse is can give you. A man that tucks in the hands of God. There's no limit what God can do with him. And where God is hindered in working our lives, it's areas we don't tuck. Or we don't believe sometimes, you know. But can God use the reins in my life? And that's why young people, boys up front here, girls, that's why learning how to submit to parents is a blessing. That it may go well with you. You know, I think I can say most people, not in a church, Talking about the world, but many people struggle and fight with the reins all their lives. I used to use a horse. We used to have our own horses. Pablo would have his, and I'd have mine. And I used to have a horse I really liked because I like horses that are active and that move. But he always fought me. I was, and that was the lack of my training, I'm sure. But he was always fighting at the, at the reins. I'll admit I liked to him because of all the spunk he had. <laughs> but he always was fighting. You know, there's people that go all through life fighting, fighting, fighting. Fighting God. But it shows itself fighting dad, fighting mom, fighting anyone who tries to tell me what to do. You know that spirit? I do. I can feel it in my blood. That spirit that I don't like when people tell me what to do. I remember when I was young a boy and Phil, he was Phil, used to be older than me, and he always asked me, Mark, did you do this job? Did you do it right? Oh, I wouldn't like that. Why does he have to ask me? Of course I do it right. Why does he have to ask me? Of course I do it right. <laughs> what does he think? What is that spirit? What was wrong? Why couldn't you ask me? It's just that I don't like people that tell me what to do. That spirit of resisting, of fighting, of not wanting to just... I think one of the laws of the universe of working with God. And if we look at this great big God, why do we fight? And you know, he uses people to develop that. He uses people to develop that submissive spirit. That the spirit that gives in, that tucks. And I've got another question for you. This is new. I was thinking about this today. Does God need to be submissive? Oh, No. God doesn't need to be submissive because he rules over everything. But you know, submissive, that spirit of, of tucking, of giving in and surrender is a character quality. It's not only a thing of listening to other people. And young people, if you, young men, if you can learn this, and young ladies, you can learn this to, to surrender, to give in, to, to, to work with others, to give in, to give in, to give in, to tuck, to give in. You'll be easy to work with. Have you noticed there's some people, you just flow, it's easy to work with them, easy to travel with them. You just, it just flows with them. Other people, I'm sure none of you are here tonight, no one like you, but there's underhand is, it's carrying a ball in your, pick, in your hip pocket, you know. You try to sit down, it, it, you know, there's some people so unhandy. Everywhere you turn, they're unhandy. Why is that? They haven't learned to tuck and work with people. And of course, that's first of all with God. And you know, I take it from God that last night the Lord spoke to me about that brother and that relationship issue. I need to learn to tuck. I need to give in. That doesn't mean that I have to compromise on truth, but my spirit should give in, should give in. Does God do that? Do you think God has that quality? First of all, God doesn't need to. And in relation to the greatness of God, we wouldn't even need to say it. Obviously, he's so big, he's so wise, he's so wonderful. The, and I am so small. I'm created by him. He had the purpose. He created me for certain things. So obviously, I would submit to his framework. Obviously, I would submit to what he planned for me. Obviously. We can finish right there. But this morning, I started thinking, does God 
have that qualification. Because you know what? That characteristic doesn't depend on just only other people telling me what to do. Fathers need to have that spirit. Everyone needs to. Jesus showed us God does. Jesus showed us God himself tucks. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Such an example. He said, everything I do, the Father told me to do it. Every move I make, I'm listening to the Father. And then Gethsemane. And Hebrews said that he, listen to this, he learned obedience, crying out to God. And he taught us to submit. Jesus himself, the eternal God, submitted. And we have another thing we'll probably be looking at Sunday morning. I'm leaving this part where Jesus, before Jesus and his confession or the witness he gave before Pontius Pilate, they mocked him. They spit on him. Can you imagine spit running down your face? Blood, thorns. What was Jesus' response? Tucking, giving in, not demanding. No pride, total absence of pride. And yet he was God eternal. Wow. I was impressed by that today. The God of the universe is great because the Bible says that nothing was made without Jesus. Everything that was made was made by him too. And yet Jesus showed us. Jesus in his eternal, wonderful, that voice that resounds through all eternity. He also has the character qualification of giving in, of tucking, of surrendering. Wonderful. But we resist that. And salvation, and experiencing, and listen, I, I know, oh, I can feel this in my blood, but how I have struggled with my pride and my resisting, and it's not fair. It's just not fair what they're doing to me. It's not fair what they're saying, and it's all this thing, and you can fight and fight and fight. And there's so many things we can fight and resist, but all we do is hurt ourselves. Give in, surrender. Let it go. Submit. And God will stand behind you. But as long as you're fighting and you're resisting and you're standing, you're, you're standing up for my rights and I wish they know what's the truth, God is limited to what he can do for you. Let go. Surrender. Give in. Just fall at his feet. Those are our Gethsemanes. Those are our Gethsemanes. Then God will stand behind you. So young people, especially tonight, you know. The carnal nature, our carnal nature cannot please God. That pride, that resistance, it just can't please God. It's obvious. He is such a big God, and he knows, and he's got a plan. He has a purpose, and he says, this is what he's doing. This is what his kingdom, he's doing this. And here's a man standing there, not me, not me, not me. And we're, you know, a person that resists authority, that resists people working with people and fighting and struggling, you're just working against God because God can't work with them. God works with, with... You think about Satan resisting God and rebelling against Can you imagine the rest of the angels? A revelation that says that there's a throne and there's thousands. Spanish says millions and millions of angels. I think English says ten thousands of ten thousands of angels behind him. Now, I, I've never seen that. Someday I hope to. But I imagine those, those angels are all there just, Lord, tell me what to do. You want to go talk to, do this, do that. They don't just, wow, we just, just, bless Lord, what do you want? And they just love to obey. They love to serve him because they know who he is. You know, my heart longs for that. And I long to get rid of my pride that resists, and that fights. I could just be surrendered. And I need more of that. But that is the only response we can have before, before such a wonderful God. You say, well, if I do that, they're going to take advantage of me. Well, you turn it over. Let God take care of that. He will. Uh, but especially we fight, we resist. The Bible says the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal man, that's that mind that's proud, 
that doesn't like to listen, you know, you don't like your mom, you don't like your brother, you don't like your sister, anyone to ask you anything or tell you anything, that, that, that mindset is the carnal mind. And that, it says it's enmity against God. And what that means, I don't think, at least I never said, God, I'm your enemy. I never said that. But because of my pride and my selfishness, my character um, clashes with God. Like Casey. I frustrate God. How many times have I frustrated God when he wants to do something and I don't listen? And I'm defending myself. But a character that's proud and selfish, that's why God resists the proud. Because the proud resist him. It, it clashes instead of flows with him. And God is a beautiful example. Jesus showed us the beautiful example of that himself. Salvation is coming back to a good, healthy relationship with God. And obviously, for who he is, who I am, there's only one way. Total surrender. And here again, young people, look around you and watch. No one who's maybe 100%, I'm not surrendered 100% all the time. I long. I have a longing within me to humble myself more. But young people, what I was going to say is this. Notice the men that do and the men that don't. Now, I'm not trying. Don't be critical. But there's a difference. There's a difference. Don't notice them six weeks, six months, six years. Notice them a long time. Notice the results in their lives, the freedom, the joy of serving and of living. And you can notice the people that are bucking, bucking, bucking. And it's resisting. God can't flow with them. And that Casey taught me something that startled me. That if I'm not submissive to God, I can actually be a hindrance in his work. That's why Jesus says, not everyone that Jesus said this. You know, Jesus, uh, we could talk a lot about Jesus too. You know, we think Jesus is the forgiving one. He's the one that loves children. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come. Jesus is a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of forgiveness. But Jesus also says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. So why do you say, Lord, Lord, and don't listen to what I do, what I tell you? Some are going to say, and I don't want that, this verse has startled me. In the past, you know, I don't want to come to the end. He says, Mark, I'm sorry. He's not even that nice here. He doesn't even say, I'm sorry. Well, Mark, you've been doing a lot of things. You've been going around preaching. You've been doing a lot of good, good things, but you haven't listened to me. It's not the ones that say, it's the ones that do. Why? There's a verse in 2 Thessalonians 1. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's coming back again. Revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand all this. But the Bible is very clear that there is, God also has wrath and there's anger. And it's for all those who resist his goodness. Because really, it's resisting his goodness. When I resist, when I fight, when I stand up, I know I have my act together. This is what I... I want to know God. You know how to know God? You can pray all you want and fast all you want. Those are good. But if you don't surrender, give in, submit, you won't know him very closely. Some people say, well, I'm praying. I've had some people, a lot of people tell me that. Mark, why do I pray and ask God to help me? But it doesn't work. Need some more Gethsemanes. Our pride needs to die. Need to die. You can pray in the morning, but if you don't die to yourself, it won't go well with you. We need to surrender and submit and flow with him. Flow with him. Young people, you say, well, I don't like to submit. I don't like to listen to others. 
I don't like to. I don't like what dad says. You know what? Don't worry about what he says. What's important is that you learn to submit. You learn to give in and tuck. Be your dad right or wrong, let, let that up to him. Uh, certain minor issues. It's not that important. You, th you think you're smarter than he is? You might be. But you're not be able to use your smarts unless you learn to tuck first. If we could remember that, we need to learn to give in. To give in and to work. And in the church, we need that. To give in. To give in. To give in. What other response could we have with such a wonderful, great, big, wonderful God? You know what else? There's no other option. He is so good. He is so wonderful. He is so wise. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for showing us who you are and then showing us who we are. We thank you, Lord, that you ask us to submit because you love us. And when we surrender, when we give in, we obey. Your power can flow through us and you can do the wondrous works you want to do. Forgive us, Lord, when we resist when we don't cooperate with you, and even times when we work against you because of our pride and our selfishness. Lord, we want to surrender. We want to submit. You know the needs of the hearts here tonight. You know each heart that's here, and I just pray, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would minister to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Puppies, <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I like dogs. I like dogs, I like goats, I like horses. I like about any kind of animal. And we've always had dogs, and I used to have just little dogs, little mutts. You know what mutts are? Just little crossbreed, little mutts. People give them to me. And, but uh, I got this idea a few years, some years ago, that I like to have a big dog. And I like to have a purebred dog, a real good dog. But I didn't have money to buy one. And so I, we don't have them out where we live, but in San Jose, in the city. They have a dog pound. You know what a dog pound is? That's a place where they give dogs away they don't want. Anyway, and sometimes at the dog pound they receive, they get these good dogs, purebred dogs. So I called the lady up and I said, hey, if you ever get a good dog, a purebred dog, I want a good one. You let me know and maybe I'll come pick him up. Well, she called me once and told me they had some boxes, but it was far enough away it didn't suit me to go. Then later she called and says, I have a real nice German shepherd dog for her. Beautiful dog. And fortunately, I was going out that next week, and I said, okay, I'm going to come look at it. You know what a German Shepherd is? You know what kind of, okay, real nice dog. So I went out there, and uh, made a special box to put him in the car, and I went out there to the dog pound, and I told when I, the lady said that, um, he's a little bit mad, he's a little aggressive. You better come check and see if you want him. Oh, should have told me that before, because you know, preachers shouldn't have mad dogs. It doesn't go very good. But anyway, I went out to look at him, and when I walked up beside the pen, was a beautiful dog, big and nice German Shepherd. And I said, wow, he's like, when I walked up beside him, he goes, oh, uh, I want to take him home. And anyway, so they, the man went in and brought him out, and his name was Kaiser, had a German name, Kaiser. And I said, uh, I said, Kaiser, Kaiser, I guess I'll try. And I put my hand down on him, he looked at me, and I tried to make friends with him. And, Something started happening between him and me, and I said, I think I'll take it. I think I'll take it. So I took him back and put him in the back of my car, and I took him home, and we had about a three-hour drive. It was a little ways away. And on the way home, I'd stop every once in a while, and I'd go back, and I'd talk to him. And I'd change his name from Kaiser to Casey. I called him Casey. So I'd, hey, Casey, Casey, and I'd reach in, and I'd pet him, reach in, and because I've got to make a friendship with this dog. I don't want him to bite me. Well, when we got home, and I took him out of the box, and I tied him up, and and of course, then the only person he knew was me. So he, li he liked me. And something happened between him and me. We became pretty close. I loved him, and you know what? He loved me. And uh, he was a beautiful dog. But you know, there was something sad about this dog. I didn't realize it. I asked the lady what it was. On the tip of his nose, he had like a sore. On the tip of his ears, his ears were sort of like swollen up. And I didn't really know why. She told me. She said, this dog has been all his life big German Shepherd dog. All his life he's been on a little porch, just a little porch like this in the city in Barrio Cuba. 
that's in San Jose, place. He's been tied up like that, which he said, with a big chain, and the poor dog, all he knew how to do was stand and bark and jump up and down. Poor dog. So I'm going to take this dog home and give him a better life. And I discovered later that the reason he had these sores on his nose and on his ears is because they'd take a stick and beat him. Because I found out if I'd pick up a stick, he would roll down and roll around on the ground. He thought I was going to hit him. Poor dog. And, um, but anyway, he'd stand out there and, and jump up and down and bark just like he did in Bajapu. At first, he didn't like But something happened between me, and every time I'd open the door, he'd be right there looking at me. You know? But something else happened. I have goats. I like goats. And over the years, I've been developing some good goats, some better goats at least. And all at once, I noticed something. Casey would look at the goats, and he'd bark and bark, and his eyes would turn. He'd bark and bark at the goats, and he looked just like a wolf, I thought. And I said, uh-oh. What if Casey get, get, kills one of my goats, one of my good goats, and I didn't want that? And I was worried. He'd stand there, and he'd bark. And he'd get all excited, he'd shake it so excited, look at the go goats, and he'd bark and bark and bark. And I'd say, whoa. And of course I thought he's probably gonna kill my best goat. I had some pretty good ones. You know, he's gonna go, oh no, what do I do? I don't want a dog that starts killing goats. So one day I was gonna try to start try this out sometimes. I got him by, by his chain, and I got a stick here in this hand, and Casey would try and tell him, I'm gonna take him into the goats and see what he'll do, because I can't have a goat, a dog that will kill goats. So I took him into the pen with the goats, and you know what happened? You think he bit him? He loved him. He just went, he'd smell the goats, he'd lick the goats. And you know what he'd do? It was in his, he would, he would go behind the goats and he'd nip them a little bit and he'd chase them and he'd, he'd herd them. Herd, you know what herding means? It means chasing them along. He'd go, and he'd just get so, he'd get so excited. And then I remember he was a German shepherd. And as far as I know, he'd never seen a goat in his life, or a cow. But it was in his blood, and when he saw the goats, he just, the little baby goats, he just licked them. He just so excited, he just liked them so much. And then he naturally, he would get behind them and herd them. And then I had a lot of fun. I went out in the field with, with the chain and the dog, and he was out there just herding goats, and he just loved them. And I was having fun, too, with him. Well, as time went on, he loved the goats and he loved me and we had a good, good relationship. But one day, I wanted to move a heifer. I also had, had some heifers. And I wanted to move this heifer. So I turned him loose and I went out and I got the heifer. The heifer would leave. So I put a rope on the heifer. It's like a young cow. I put the rope on the cow and I was starting to lead the cow. And you know what he did? He was such a smart dog. He was a shepherd. Without anyone paying, he'd go right behind the heifer. And he'd walk right behind her, he'd nip her a little bit, and he'd keep her coming. Go, wow, this is nice. You know, he would, he would chase us just to it naturally. No one had thought. But then, you know what that next? He got so excited about chasing this heifer that he'd bite her a little bit, and of course she'd jump forward, and oh, that was good, you know. And then he'd do it again. Then I said, oh, in the case, that's enough now, that's enough. But he'd get so excited, he'd keep chasing her. Now, to Casey, no, no, no. Casey, that's enough now. Casey, no. But he wouldn't listen to me. And he'd nip her again, and he'd nip her again. And that heifer started running around, and soon I was running, and he was going around and around with the rope, and I was getting all tangled up in him. And he was just chasing around and around, and he was so excited. He was so excited, he wouldn't listen to me. And I'd say, Casey, stop! And you know what, I'm gonna have to confess something. I got mad. And I took the rope, and I hit him hard. I said, Casey, stop! I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have, but I did. That's wrong. But you know what? Another time, I wanted to go work with some heifers I had out in the field. I said, oh, I'll take Casey along. He likes cows, so I'm going to take Casey along. And I was going to give them some medicine. I forget something. So I got into the field. Casey was with me, and I called the cow, and they came up. And of course, Casey gets all excited. And he starts chasing the cow. And I said, Casey, no, 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 don't chase him. Now I want him to stay here. I want to give him some treatment. But he'd get so excited, I wouldn't listen to him. And I stood there and he chased all the cattle over the hills. And then I quite connected him. He chased the cattle away. So you know what happened? From then on, if I wanted to do something with the cattle, you know what I'd do with Casey? I'd leave him tied on. Now I know probably maybe some of you boys could have, or maybe your father, if I would have taken the time, I think he could have been trained to a good dog, to be a good cattle dog. You know, you can train him. 
but um, I didn't have the time and I never did really. But I'm Casey, who could not help me with the Catholic. Why not? He wouldn't listen to me. You know, if he would have just helped me a little bit, then I'd say, Casey, no. Now stop, Casey. That's enough. Now stop. He'd have been a good dog. But since he wouldn't listen to me, he didn't help me. And not only did he not help me, he was a hindrance. So I'd leave him tied on. Poor dog. Now, I've got another question for you. What can we learn from Casey? What can we learn from Casey? Yeah. Pardon? Listen to God. Let's first, I'd like to maybe one lesson we could look at quickly. You know, Casey had been all his life tied up on the little porch with a big chain in the city. He'd just stand and bark and bark, and the people would beat him with a stick. Casey wasn't made, wasn't developed to be, wasn't supposed to be in the city tied up with a chain. Where should Casey have been? In the city. Not in the city. And he should have been in the country on a farm. Yeah. Where, you know, he could run and be with cattle. And uh, you know what? Some people think that um, they like to sin. They like to do evil things. Yeah. Were we made to do evil things? No. Just like Casey, a lot of people are like, tied up with the chain and Satan's just beating them over the head because they're doing sin. And that's not what the dog was made for. And that's not what we were created for. German shepherds should be on farms with cattle. I didn't provide it very good for him because I didn't have much cattle and things and I didn't train him. But the next lesson is this one. We need to obey. He's a good dog. And I, I know that if I'd have had the time and known how, I could have taught him to obey. That's probably my fault. I didn't talk. But if he didn't obey, he didn't help me. He was really smart. He was a good dog. But if he didn't obey, obey, he didn't help me. Not only did he not help me, he was a hindrance to me. He was a bother. And I'd have to leave him tied on. So, we need to obey God. Who do we obey? What does the Bible say of the first thing children learn to do? Obey parents. You know, if you learn how to obey, you and me too. If we learn how to obey our parents, then we learn how to obey God. We learn to obey our teachers. We learn to obey the policemen. Then it goes well with us. But if you don't obey your parents, you always fight and argue with your parents. You don't listen to your parents. You don't listen to the, the teachers. You don't listen to anyone. You know what happens? You have a lot of problems, a lot of problems. The Bible says children, Obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may go well with thee. If we learn how to obey, it goes well with us. And too bad Casey didn't really learn. I could tell you some other stories. There were some things he did learn how to obey. He was so smart. Like uh, in Costa Rica, you have lots of mud. Lots of rain and lots of mud. So my wife didn't, and the girls, especially the girls, they didn't like big old muddy Casey to get up on the porch because he'd make the porch so dirty and muddy. You know, there, I think it was because he loved me. I told him about three times, I said, Casey, no, get off. And from then on, he stayed off the porch. Oh, I like that. Because he learned how to obey. There were areas where he did obey, and he was a good dog. But when it came to working with cattle, I couldn't use him because he wouldn't listen to me. So that's a lesson for all of us. You know what? If we don't learn how to obey, God can't use us. Then God, if God wants them. I think you're, you're a cousin. Don't you look like you're, are you a, you're related to Eli? Is Eli your grandpa? Your great grandpa? What's your name? Bart? Craig. Craig. Okay. You know, if he learns how to obey God, maybe God will say, hey, I want you to go to, where'd like go? Go to the South America missionary or I want you to do this. And if he learns how to obey, God can tell him to go and he'll go. God can say, go here, do this, do that. And God can use a person that learns how to obey. But if he doesn't learn to obey, doesn't listen to anyone, then what? 
say. So that's a good lesson for us. Why don't we stand up, children, and start word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for each one of these boys and girls. You know each one. You know their hearts. You know their needs. Lord, we just pray a blessing on them as they grow older, as they learn how to obey, that you could use them, Lord, and they could grow up for you, be useful to you, a real, real blessing to you, Lord. Bless each one, their needs. Teach them now to, they can learn to obey the parents and to obey the teachers and to be obedient boys and girls for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you can go back. Yes, huh? No, I'm sorry to say that's been some years ago. He got old and his back legs gave out. German shepherds have weakness in the back legs, and I don't have any. It was really sad for me. But I, every morning I'd get up and open the door, and he'd be looking there looking at me, smiling the way dogs smile. And he doesn't anymore, so I miss him. 